This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. How are y'all doing? Good. It's a new day. This is great. Good. Uh, so first, I want to know, what are y'all drinking today on this fine uh, recording day? I'm drinking something for the first time. This is a grapefruit IPA from Ghostfish Brewing here in Seattle. Uh, it's gluten-free, though, which is really unique. And I oh, usually wow. don't love IPAs, but my roommate drinks this all the time, and she loves it. And it's pretty good so far. It's refreshing. So oh, I'm nice. loving it. Good. How about Josh, you, Stephen? What was your experience of that of that leftover Thanksgiving Sprite tea that I oh saw my gosh. in the Marco yeah. Polo? <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys! If anyone listened to uh, our episodes around Thanksgiving, what I did was Stephen's suggestion for putting tea bags in a bottle of Sprite. I did a, a raspberry tea, and you like let it steep for a couple days. I just found it this week in my basement fridge. I don't know how I lost it, but I found it, and it was still carbonated. You guys, it had been. Uh, it's about three Dude. months away. Oh, it was wow. still carbonated a bit. And uh, it was really syrupy. Me and my roommate drank a little bit and it was like syrupy in taste. It was good. Do you think Do you think that's because of the tea? I guess so, yeah. Did you have any of it at Thanksgiving or did you just leave a oh, sealed yeah. bottle? Oh, okay. No, no, no. We had like half of it. And that's why I'm surprised. I don't know how I lost the other half of the bottle that was still there. That's very weird. That's very hmm. weird. Yeah. Wow. But, but uh, I mean, nine out of ten would recommend nine. Okay. Yeah, just don't get that's... it. Let it all. Sur- I'm surprised it didn't turn into like a kombucha situation after. That's what months. I was afraid of. That could have yeah. been very questionable. Yeah, I'm right? surprised it wasn't flat. Dubious at best. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. I am. I'm here for another K cup veranda blend Starbucks coffee. I. Uh, mm. I'm on the I'm on the tail end. I'm on the last like two hours of a 24 hour fast, you guys, and I'm putting coffee just in Ooh. an empty stomach. Ugh. So we'll see how we end this Ugh, podcast. Boy, Dang, wow. good luck You're with gutsy. that. Yeah. What about you, Emily? I've been craving a ton of fruit, so I went through my fridge and I just made like a smorgasbord fruit smoothie, and it honestly is amazing. It's so good. Mm. Nice. Yes. Mm. What's so your good. primary fruit? In your smoothies, uh, strawberries, bananas, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, and orange juice. Wow, you really do have them all there. I mean, yeah. Emily, I don't know if you but... know this, but I used to work at a bar in college. <sighs> um, it was a smoothie bar, but it was still a bar. But if you ever need smoothie what a suggestions, way to drop that, <gasps> Josh. I have a time. Where have you been all of my life? I know. Slide in my DMs later, Emily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I will be sure to do that. Um, so here it. we are. Here we are consuming our beverages and uh, and gathering in this online space. And, you know, our last conversation got me thinking about sort of indoctrination of Christianity and, Whoa. you know, where Whoa. we put our allegiance. What? 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 Sorry. Josh and I were just talking about this right before we started taping. <laughs> We were. <laughs> I read I read That's your mind. That's really why. solid stuff right there. Yeah. Um, and I have to confess that literally at least multiple times, if not all of them so far, topics that I have led or topics of significance conversation has been topics that I have preached on on our recording days. Mm. And today is one of those days. So today our lectionary talked about Mark's version of come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I talked about my experience of going to Dare to Share. And right then and there, I was like, oh, MG, we need to talk about these conferences, these evangelical (laughs) sort of, you know, youth uh indoctrinal events in the christian spectrum that i'm sure 
Well, actually, I'm pretty sure all three of us have actually attended something of that nature. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly. Like, Josh, you have said that you attended Acquire the Fire. I know, Stephen, I think you also attended Acquire the Fire. I attended Dare to Share. And so I wanted to know what, A, your experiences or your uh, insight of those are. What have those done for you, either positively and or negatively? And then just see where the conversation goes from there, because I have a lot of thoughts about those types of events. So like Christian conferences in general, mm-hmm. I've actually had a variety of experience. I don't know about you two. Well, I guess technically I have two then if we're encompassing just conferences in general. Yeah, maybe we should just start there. Um, so I, like I think mine have been separated into three different ones. Growing up in high school, I would go to church camp and I feel like church camp should count as a form. I agree. Number two, my state conference or whatever for like our network of churches would do like these youth events, like youth conferences once or twice a year. So I also went to those. And growing up, my family also took us to this conference in Wisconsin called the Holy Spirit Conference. And it was like this national gathering uh, that was originally put on by the Baptist, one of the Baptist conferences, but it since became more of a like charismatic leaning uh, gathering. Uh, so that was another one. Mm. And I also did go to a couple Acquire the Fire events. And I think that we might have gone to the same ones because I went to the ones in Billings. Yeah, yes. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Stephen? What were, what were your uh, conferences experiences? But first of all, I, I would have never, it would never have occurred to me to include church camp. But absolutely, <gasps> after, after you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. That's what that is. Especially the big, like, week long ones up in the mountains of Montana. Hey, and, hey, 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 I love them all. I loved <laughs> camp. Camp was the best. Winter retreat. I loved camp. I'm totally there for it. Oh, yeah. But I do like putting it in the same category as some of these conferences because they can achieve the same flavor. You know, mm-hmm. so growing up in my youth group, my first experience was in Acquire the Fire in the sixth grade. Uh, and oh, I went wow. with my youth group and it was my very first experience with my youth group. So it was a real culture shock for me <laughs> coming from homeschooling mm-hmm. and not knowing anyone. And then like loading up on a bus from all with all the other kids from the church and loading in to Acquire the Fire. I was like, just mm-hmm. wide, wide, like, what is happening? So that was my first of three Acquire the Fires I've been to. I've been to one Dare to Share in Denver. And I also went to another lesser known conference in Denver called Planet Wisdom. And what set it apart for me. So like if Acquire the Fire is a big evangelistic tool in that the organization exists to get youth there to evangelize to them and like precipitate salvation. Then Dare to Share takes that to the next level and they, they say like, okay, now it's your turn. We're going to train you how to have these conversations to share your faith with people mm. in your life. Planet Wisdom, in my mind, and actually ha- my, my uh, youth pastor actually described it this way as like Planet Wisdom is the next step beyond Dare to Share. And they're like, okay, now you're sharing the faith, but th- let's really go deep into what you're sharing and why you're sharing. And huh. Oh, I like that. It was interesting because it was a nice turn of like, the conference began with the assumption that it was a conference full of Christians and not like a bunch of curious youth who are here for the rock show or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really liked Planet Wisdom. I have a lot of uh, fond memories of that trip and things I learned. Even the band they did feature as the like the worship band, I still listen to the two to this day because I think they're good musicians. And I got to hang out with the drummer backstage during the conference and it was like it was really cool so are you saying i haven't heard of either of those are you saying dare to share was the evangelize the attenders one no i'm saying acquire the fire i mean it's kind of in the name like acquire the fire is the one that you want to share the gospel with the people there in the big metro park arena right you want to cause more christians to walk out of the building than there were that walked into the building to begin with and then Dare to Share is the one that trains you on how to evangelize like in your communities and in your classrooms and in your high schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. It turns the evangelistic script instead of like trying to make you a Christian at Acquire the Fire. Dare to Share is like, okay, now you're a Christian and you need to multiply too. You need to make Christians yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That's a good distinction. Emily, what if you're... That's at least... Yeah. Uh, so, church camp, obviously. And if you haven't heard my No Normal People episode, um, I talk about camp a lot. So, sorry. Uh, church camp, for sure. I went to... Oh, my goodness. Starting in sixth grade... So I've been to probably seven Dare to Share events and like three wow. Acquire the Fire events. Wow. Um, and, and we went to one in Seattle and all the other ones we went to were in Denver for Dare to Share. And to be wow, honest, I've like never I heard started, of Dare I, to Share until today. How have both of you guys gone to that? I've never heard of it. Mm, oh, well, we can get we can get into that. Maybe for it's a sure. Laurel, Montana thing. It must be a Laurel <laughs> thing. Definitely. I. Yep, not even ashamed of that. Um, and then our church conference in the Methodist Church, now Mountain Sky, formerly known as Yellowstone, before we merged with Rocky Mountain, we would host youth events called Convo, and those were so fun. Those were like your winter retreat, Stephen, but they were crazy, like very crazy, just wacky games and not at all like completely like biblical based it was just a great time um and then (laughs) our conference would host for adults and for anyone really to attend other conferences throughout the year and then i would actually count like our legislative conferences as part of that Mm. and i'll get into that later um so i was like a voting youth delegate for our annual conference Mm. And my sister and I were delegates when we went to Germany for our conference um, representing the United Methodist Church. So I've done a lot of uh, things like that. I guess I should amend mine and say that I've had varying levels of leadership at some of these conferences. Like at the uh, Montana State Baptist Convention youth ones, I was like a student leader for several years, like I think for three different years. At the Holy Spirit Conference in Wisconsin, I have helped lead worship. I have been a youth volunteer. I have uh, led young adult groups, stuff like that. So I've been like a participant, but also like a volunteer leader in varying capacities as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Now that we're wow. now that we're talking in this kind of world of like collecting youth together for a big moment, like Emily, you participated in Girls State in high school, right? No, I did not. Oh, see, which I thought actually you were... I was kind of glad I didn't. <laughs> see, I thought you were one of the ones. So I did Boys State, which was like the public high schools around Montana send like two or three representatives from every high school, collect themselves in Helena, Montana, and uh, Carroll College, the the local private Catholic college there, allows uh, Boys State to like use their dorms during the summer for this event. But Boys State was essentially like. It was like church camp, but for government nerds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to describe that. But I also had an experience just a couple years before Boys State uh, of an, an organization in Montana called Teen Pact. And I'm not sure if it's oh, just Montana, mm-hmm. but I participated in Teen Pact, which was essentially Boys State, but for Christian homeschoolers. Wow. Which definitely like crossed a few wires in my brain at a very impressionable time of my life. R.E. See our political episode right before this one. So I guess I would also count those as some like conference experiences I've had. Sure. Yeah. I think those definitely count. So of your experiences, what were some prominent moments for you and why? Like I like today in my sermon, I talked about how one dare to share in particular was very moving for me because like I had been to so many of them and I had heard the spiel and I kept coming back, which people would be like, well, why do you keep coming back? And a big reason was because of the music. Like I loved those bands, Hawk <laughs> Nelson. I'm talking OG Hawk Nelson. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking early 2000s Hawk Nelson people. Yeah, right. Uh, Stellar Cart. Um, oh, gosh. oh gosh. Skillet. Um, you name them, like, okay, just the good music. Okay. Hey, don't question me, Steven. We'll get, I'm sure we'll come up with a conversation about music at some point. Um, I'm ready to talk about skillet now. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) But I, I went back into this one conference in particular was just so moving for me because it broke away from the narrative of, okay, you're now Christians. You get to go evangelize. It really focused on just how to have conversations in general, 
And I think that for me was the tipping point to be like, wow, I don't have to necessarily push people towards Jesus. Like I can just be Mm. authentically myself and that and that can show people Jesus. Um, And so one of the books that I actually got from there was called Venti Jesus, Please. And I still have it. Venti, like the Starbucks size? Like the Starbucks size. Yeah. Uh, oh my <laughs> okay what a yeah okay okay so the convert the book is set around it's three friends it's an atheist and an agnostic and a christian and it's real people who have gone to coffee shops and these three talk about their faith or mm. you know they explore questions and whatever and it's from the perspective of the atheist and it's so enlightening and it's just so cool because it allows you to just have a conversation mm. and to say, OK, here it is. Like, I can pass this book on now. Like, I've read their story. It's real people. It's not like a fictional. Here's Bob who is going to go talk to Susie. It's no, really. Here's real people. You get to hear from their voice what they are talking about and to just leave it at that and to not have that pressure. And I really admired that. And that for me was my tipping point. And that's actually when I stopped going to Dare to Share hmm. because I said, okay, yeah, like I, I don't want to go as a leader or a volunteer. Like I've done my part. I now have everything I need. This isn't going to be any different for me now if I keep going. Like hmm. Hmm. it won't fill me any more than it already has. So what have your moments been of? What has stuck out to you? When did you realize these things were had, you know, filled their purpose or did you feel like you didn't get enough out of it? Or what were your experiences of these things that you attended or led? For me, I always felt like I think even when I was in them, I always felt like the more intimate settings, like the smaller youth retreats or the church camp that was uh, pretty small compared to some other bigger ones like Young Life. I always felt like in the moment I got more out of those. Uh, versus like even attending something big like Acquire the Fire at the time, it always, for me at least, it always just felt like one big ad, like mm. to get you to go to their thing. Mm. Even though I think that there was some heavy evangelistic elements in there too. Um, even like high schooler, naive little apologetic Josh um, <laughs> always felt like it was just like a giant ad campaign. <laughs> wow. But I did wow. not like that. Yeah. <sighs> But one particular moment really sticks out in my mind that I think was really formative for me because a lot of the retreats and conferences all had this in common, like some sort of like altar call slash some people would call it like ugly cry night that would Uh, mm -hmm. try to like evoke that kind of spiritual moment, right? I think we've probably all experienced some form of that. And I was a counselor at the high school camp after graduating high school. And actually, I think this was post-ministry school, too. And one of the kids brought up to the director, we had like a roundtable kind of say anything, give some feedback about the camp meeting. And one of the kids brought up, like, I wish we like had some sort of spiritual night like that. And I really respected what the director said. Shout out to Gary, if you're listening. He really had a hard stance against why he does not think that's okay and that that's spiritual manipulation and that's not what Jesus wants. And that for me was like such a turning point, I think, because I had not ever heard that articulated that precisely mm. and certainly not from a leader. And what for was me, his stance? Well, his stance was that he doesn't think spiritual manipulation is okay and he he's not on board with like manipulating kids into accepting Christ mm-hmm. in whatever form that takes. And I really appreciated that as someone who had like go- grown up in that church camp and like seen that happen over and over again and then mm. get to the point where I was a leader and to hear someone higher above me say that like that wasn't okay okay wow but it sounds like you're discounting a little bit the possibility that real things could be happening and i don't want to discount that because like i'm sure that some people who went to acquire the fire like found jesus for the first time right like yeah right if we actually believe god is real and that god can encounter us anywhere then like i think we have to accept that but i do think that my director was right in that manipulation is a different thing. Like if you are trying to manipulate someone into feeling a specific thing, then I think that that can have really dangerous complications later on. Like I think that that's more likely to cause people to like spiral away 
Sure. If sure. they're like given something that they realize was manufactured. Yeah. In the first if, they're, place. if they're just chasing like the worship time, uh, like goose pimples or whatever, you know, like goosebumps. Yeah. From right. The Holy Those Spirit spiritual or highs or lows, mm-hmm. which I've definitely had. And the only reason I push back a little bit, Josh, is like the moment you're describing of where your director is saying, no, we won't engineer that. Like I've had genuine moments like that. And sure. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so my Acquire the Fire almost didn't do anything for me other than instill a deep and abiding love for hard rock and metal music. <laughs> um, yes. That's funny. Huh. Quite literally, my first experience of, of Acquire the Fire was the year that Skillet came to Billings for the first time with them, and they had just released their Comatose record. Oh, yes. So, I, Emily, I think you and I were at the same one, at least, if Josh we wasn't there. We definitely were. Um, I remember seeing that show and being like oh my god there is an entire world of christian music that sounds like <laughs> this uh i mean i i almost exclusively listen to metal music to this day and all of that was because of how freaking well skillet puts on a show yes mm-hmm. amen I, I have a couple weird looping stories in my head that really don't have much context that i might i'm ready well, we'll I, be the judge of that. Can I come to them later, though? Because I kind of want to get sure. back to what we were talking about with the with oh, the sure. worship nights and the uh, possible manipulation. But so Acquire the Fire, that's pretty much all I got from Acquire the Fire was good, good music, you know. And mm. now it's kind of debatable whether Skillet's good or not. Early records, sure. Just like early Hawk Nelson, <laughs> sure. But, Absolutely. <laughs> but Absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't really follow Skillet any, anywhere beyond that record because it was so formative for me. Anyway, I digress. Planet Money was the very last conference I attended and that was Wait, the one. Planet Money? No, Planet Money. What? <laughs> yeah. Planet Wisdom. See? <laughs> Planet Wisdom is what it was called. That one was really formative for me because, again, the the premise of it was we're all here as Christians to grow deeper rather than uh, rehashing a lot of evangelistic tropes or whatever. I wish I had attended something like that. And oh. it was really special because it was like a three-day conference and it was a series of 10 lessons that were kind of cut up with like other speakers and other bands and just a ton of worship time. Uh, which is why, like, I still follow that band to this day because it was Planet Wisdom was the first place that I actually encountered a genuine worshipful moment. And maybe I was mm. being manipulated, but I don't remember it that way. I don't feel it that way. But it it really taught me beyond just being a person who is a musician and can participate in creating the worship music. Mm. It was one of the first times where I was able to disconnect from the musicianship side of things and just analyzing everything the drummer was doing and what the worship leader was doing. And I, it like, it unlocked in me a corner of my heart that was actually made available to worship in a real genuine way. And the, and the lesson series was really impactful. I remember it to this day, like they broke down using the image of pottery uh, down to like in the booklet, it had pictures of a potter like making a cup or whatever. Mm. And each lesson was like the next step in the pottery process. And I'm sure we can call to mind all the verses talking about like we're jars of clay, but also like does the potter get to or does the pottery get to say anything to the potter that the potter doesn't know? Or like mm. it was really it was really formative. And it was the very mm. last conference I went to because honestly, I, at that point I was like, that was the conference I've been leading up to. And now I feel like I can retire this part of my Christian career <laughs> in attending these big, uh, these big collections of, of people, you know, but mm-hmm. so if that was what taught me what worship music could be in my life, mm. there is a specific evening we had at summer camp once. And I'm sure any of my friends who are in youth group that are listening to this podcast know what I'm talking about. We had a night where it was, it was on the schedule to, we we're going to eat dinner. And then a youth pastor was going to give a short sermon and then we were going to share communion, do a couple songs of worship. And then it was like this big hyped, like it was the night to play the night game outside. Right. And we got into the sermon and we started playing some music while we all like collected our elements for communion. And um, the way we were given the elements this time, it was the first time we had ever experienced like taking a piece and then dipping it in the cup 
Mm. I'm sure that there's a specific word for it, but I'm blanking on it now. It's called intinction. Oh, there you go. Like where, where you dip it into the cup? Yeah. 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 Thank you for this. Yeah. So it was the first time I had ever experienced that. And for some reason, the rest of my youth group also, we were all kind of like, you know, because we're, we're the church that has the little slotted plate that has all the tiny little plastic cups full of juice that we pass all the way down. So you have this tiny little thing and then like an oyster cracker or whatever. But uh, just having the bread and dipping it in the cup was new. And I think all the new context creation that was happening that night Hmm. really, really turned our community into something really special that night. Like we all talk about it. Even those of us who don't identify as Christians anymore still talk about that night as one of the most impactful nights of our lives. And Hmm. so we shared communion and we kept playing music and the worship pastor was like, hey, I know we had game night, but do you guys want me to keep playing? And he kind of like dismissed the rest of the band so the band could participate or whatever. And literally for like what felt like three or four hours, he just looped through the same like 10 songs and one of the most impactful like spiritual experiences of worship I have ever had in community with people who are also feeling the same thing. And I didn't get a sense of manipulation out of it. In fact, like the, the fact that the night started as we'll do this real quick and then we'll go play the big night game that we're all looking forward to. Right. But we all voluntarily laid that down as well and said, no, there's something special here. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just now. Like it was, yeah, you're making me like, Oh, it was powerful. Mm. So uh, like the, the convention conversation can be tricky. The camp conversation can be tricky, but I want to make sure we don't lose the fact that very real and lasting changes and like imprints are made, you know? And I think that's why I framed my question the way I did, because I think just the reality of life is there are things that we let go, but there are things that stay with us and they are those things that are life-giving. And Steve and I can, you know me, I've talked about camp a hundred times and I'll continue to talk about camp a hundred times. I'm not even a camper anymore. I'm just a dean and I still experience those Mm -hmm. moments like alongside with my campers right and that for me is i think like if i hadn't gone to dare to share and like started attending camp i don't know if i would have had those moments before or experienced them in the ways that i did so i'm almost like laying my hat down to those conferences that i attended to say like thank you for opening my eyes to other and new possibilities of faith exploration because mm. I found camp like mm. yeah more in depth because of it. I should also say like following that night of summer camp for the several summers and winters that we went to the same place as a youth group, there was an air of like, we all kind of knew we could never recreate that moment. So we never asked to try, you know, it was like, man, that was such a mm. holy moment in time. That we're not going to like ask our youth pastor to intentionally play the same songs and we're going to do communion the same way. It was like there was a there was a reverence almost for the past and being like, okay, we all had Mm. something there that we likely will not be able to recreate. And that was really special. That was really special. The fact that us as a group, it was like an unspoken thing. Like we can talk about Mm. that night, but we don't try and remake that night or try and relive it in a in a selfish way. Mm, I love that. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with the text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. Following that too... That's also what inspired me to get involved so heavily in worship leading at church, but also all throughout high school, 
as soon as the youth pastor wanted me to, like I was helping lead cabins and leading worship for the middle school group while I was in high school, pretty much for four solid years, you know, because like, because I had that experience and I wanted to try and share that. I mean, shoot, like a few years ago, the youth pastor at the church now, he asked me to be the guest preacher for like a three night summer camp. So I like, I visited my old church and I, I wrote three sermons and all that. Wow. Steven, I'm glad that you pushed back against me because I do think I came off the wrong way at first. I Mm. like that you brought up that just because some aspects of past things we have attended or been a part of, we have now moved past from, or we've even like deemed as a harmful structure that doesn't discount spiritual experiences that we or other people had there. Mm. Like we don't have to go down this rabbit hole. I'm just using this as an example, but like all the people who are attending a certain person's worship protests right now in America, (laughs) not all of those people are bad. (laughs) And those people are probably having legitimate spiritual experiences that will be formative for the rest of their lives. Right. Yes. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that what you have highlighted well is that these spiritual religious contexts that we find ourselves in that are like tangential to church, like they themselves are not church services or church structure. Like they are very unique things Mm -hmm. um, that happen in like parachurch organizational ways like they are multifunctional like they are both causing spiritual experiences that are good and healthy and formative and they are also probably causing things that are traumatic and uh like disregarding certain persons and are mm-hmm. harmful mm-hmm. in psychological ways like mm. they are neither good nor bad but they are causing mm. like they're neither inherently good nor bad as like a conference sure. structure but like they're causing multiple different functions out of them right and i think you highlighted that really well oh Yeah. Thank you. I I think the pushback was uh, there was a little bit in me that I was like, don't you dare talk about my one precious night as if it Mm, was like all manufactured. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, like I could sit here on Ravel today and tell you that I I don't believe half the things I preached at that camp that Mm, (laughs) the youth pastor asked me to. Like, I I don't even believe half the things I preached there. And I was the one preaching. So, like, we change. Obviously, we evolve, we change, we grow. We continue mm-hmm. to ravel things, and and as we do so, like certain things get left behind. But uh, there's there's just such a sweet memory to some of those moments for me. That mm. I mean, like, dude, I you, we could make an entire episode about my skepticism of modern worship music right now because m- <laughs> manipulation is a word that comes up very often, and I think that's valid. And that's why I'm glad you brought that up, Josh. Yeah, but that doesn't mean to say, yeah, exactly. That does that doesn't mean to say that it's all manipulation or it's all underhanded, like a big ad sale. So here's a question that I've thought of a little bit before. I'm curious to get your guys' take. With all of that said, what do you feel like is helpful for either of you in like trying to evaluate, uh, like I guess maybe maybe not just evaluate, but like analyze the functions of a certain conference or event or something like that? Because like I can recognize that like I've looked back at some things that I've attended and kind of tore them apart a little bit and like, uh, like decided I didn't like the way they did some things uh, for various reasons. But I like I can also acknowledge that I really like and miss some of the conference elements that I have taken part mm. of before. And I can totally. like even me and a buddy of mine were talking the other week about throwing together some sort of conference again for people our age at the same conference grounds in Wisconsin that we like met each other at. Mm-hmm. But like we don't want to attend the same thing that we met each other at because we feel like we've we like we don't resonate with it anymore. Sure. And so, like, I can recognize that, like, there is something great about coming together and, like, being on the same page about things, even if you, like, disagree about other things. And so, like, how do you even begin to go about, I don't like using the word judging for this, but, like, how do you judge the the function of, like, the entire conference thing Mm, and, like, determine mm -hmm. whether or not it's, like, A, healthy to go to or, like, B, producing good in the world or see if it's an echo chamber of some sort Hmm. i feel like my go-to answer is whether or not it's life-giving and again that is also (laughs) you laugh all you want sorry check the bingo card Um, she said (laughs) life-giving we seriously should create a bingo i know we're doing that with Um, our patrons in discord right now we're we need more suggestions so if you're a patron please 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 give us more things you notice (laughs) i say that though because Josh and Steven, you both have brought this up. There are elements that are authentic and wholesome to what the purpose of the conference is, but the ways in which they 
produce themselves or are represented are not done in that manner. And so I think mm. for me, it would be, do the people need to change? Is it uh, how just how the conference itself is structured or is it content? And so I think it's looking at those three areas and to say, here's what could change here. Here's what we'll keep here because it's life giving. There you go. I said it again. I also think it's whether or not a conference is willing to adapt. Mm, because if you go okay. to a conference mm. and you attend it as a youth and let's say you now go and you're a volunteer because maybe a kid or someone in your church goes and like they ask for volunteers. So you're now attending as a volunteer, like leader, chaperone, and it's the same, then I would say it needs to stop. Because if you are not adapting to the world around you, and adapting to the people around you and what the needs are of those attending mm. and what the needs are of those who are not attending, who would ultimately be impacted as well from those who attended, then you're not doing any good. You're not servicing anyone at that point. Wait a minute. So. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I feel like the same criticism could just be made for church. Like you just made an <laughs> argument for dismantling all yes. of church structure. So like, yes. And that's what I talked about in my sermon. How are you making that argument about conferences, but like not applying exactly. that to yourself? Oh, I am. A, are you, are you oh, calling okay, me okay. out, Josh? Oh, maybe. Are you calling me maybe, out? <gasps> maybe I'm just like not noticing something though. Josh, you have heard me say a, a pastor <laughs> who doesn't acknowledge the world around them is doing that's a disservice true. to their congregation. I have literally like, heard you, you say that. If right. you as a congregation, you as an organization, you as an institution, you as a conference, insert blank here, do not adapt to the world around you, then you are ultimately doing a disservice to those people whom you are serving mm. and those who you could potentially serve. That's true. That's fire right I guess there. what seems Dang. really attractive to me about conferences and like that retreat kind of structure is it seems less hierarchical. Like that is mm. that in itself is attractive to me that like it's more collaborative. It's more team based. It usually not always, but it usually transcends the denomination somehow mm. and is like trying to incorporate and involve lots of different denominations. Yeah. And oh, I yes. love that idea for some reason, like the well, whole unity thing. Yeah. Like I like that idea. Totally. I mean, you said it was parachurch. I think that's still that tracks, but the fact that these churches have to have their youth like raise money to buy a ticket, like the purchase of the ticket is an endorsement by your local church for the thing that they're sending their kids to, you know? Sure. But but you're right. It is interesting that Emily, a Methodist, and Stephen, a closeted Baptist <laughs> who doesn't think Methodists are Christians, can attend the same Acquire the Fire. I That is good. It, like It has an equalizing mm -hmm. effect. That you probably don't realize because it's a very big room and you're in a very big arena and you're all looking the same way at the same stage and all that. But yeah, it does it does teach you a lot about like, whoa, there are there, there's a way to look at those conferences and kind of look around like in the middle of the seats. You're like, there are this many Christians in this city. What are we doing? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. why isn't our yes. city better? Which, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to talk about that, too. But Ooh, you also bring up a really good point, Stephen. You attended Acquire the Fire. I also attended Acquire the Fire. And yet, years down the road, here we are in high school, and obviously we have reconciled and you see me as a Christian. But you attended the same conference that I did, and yet you saw me in a different light. And like we discovered later on, like, oh, yeah, we were at this together and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So what is it then about these events that brings all these people together, and yet when they go back to the quote-unquote real world, the message disappears, or it's like your vision is skewed. Because you would mm. think if you were to attend a something like Acquire the Fire, and you then interact with me later in school, and you're like, oh my gosh, like here's this crazy Methodist chick. Mm. Like, mm. let's have a conversation. And instead it was very, you were judging from like the from the backdrop like how do you feel those conferences then are inhibiting actual growth of christians i have a couple thoughts um and also i forgive you well thank you thank you for this yeah we've talked about this quite a bit like our relationship in high school was it was like let's not talk about our, our mutual christianity because 
one of us doesn't think we're mutual Christians. <laughs> but hey, we were both drummers and we were both really good at student yes. council, right? So there's that. Yeah. Two out of three no, okay, so words of meatloaf. My first thought, my where my brain first goes is kind of that effect I was speaking to where the room is so big and you kind of lose a personal flavor that you that is maintained in like a summer camp thing because summer camp is just inherently smaller like if you tried to pull off a summer mm-hmm. camp at the scale of acquire the fire i mean oh my to be fair i'm sure there are summer camps that do that uh but i can't imagine those are those last very long i think i think after the first teen pregnancy following that kind of thing uh it probably shut down oh boy. but i hey mm-hmm. it happens we know it happens but <laughs> so there's there's a level of anonymity that acquire the fire gives you where it's like I didn't bump into you. You didn't bump into me. I was there with my youth group. You were there with your youth group. And even the youth groups, though, it's like we've already built in the fact that Acquire the Fire is just going to be this like a collection of roving bands of cliques that don't really talk outside themselves, you know? Mm. Sure. The other thing is I think what Acquire the Fire attempts to do is like, I mean, it's pretty common Christian language, like on fire for Jesus or whatever, you know, and they want you to be inspired to share. They want you to be inspired to talk. So the way they do that is with so much. Now I am going to say emotional manipulation, like they hype you up Mm. so freaking much that in my mind, it's like winning the spiritual lottery. Like, I don't think winning the lottery is healthy for a human being and just like a sudden injection of millions of dollars. In the same way, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's healthy for a soul to have such an injection of like spiritual excitement because inevitably a week later when you're like you're doing the dishes because it's your chores and your mom is like you're loading the dishwasher wrong. It's like, but I'm supposed to be on fire for Jesus. And you're like, I'm back to (laughs) back to loading dishes. And then all of a sudden you just it's it's quite literally a high that you crash. Oh, for sure. Right. Oh, that's a good point. That, I think, is a crucial effect of what these conferences can have on a person, especially a very young, impressionable person. That is also important. Well, like, okay, I'm with you, Stephen, in that I have totally had formative spiritual experiences in the smaller church retreat setting, Mm -hmm. in the larger, like, big conference setting. Like, I have had spiritually formative experiences that, like, I can remember off the top of my head that, like, I think put me on a track towards becoming a Christian and like making a conscious effort to like be a Christ follower. I can think of one example. I think I was in sixth grade. I'm pretty sure it was the first church youth retreat I ever attended. Totally. And it was like one of those after worship, like post-service, like, you know, if you just need to meet with Jesus, like do your thing right now, we're just going to be here in the background. Like you just meet with God. And like, I totally had one of those moments of like, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Like, just send me, like, I'll do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And Like, I, like, even now, as I, like, deconstruct how I think that maybe was spiritually manipulative and, like, forced me to go a certain direction and, like, didn't actually give me the tools to critically think, like, in a way, that experience did put me on this path that, like, like, now I'm doing a podcast, like, talking about Jesus. Right. Like, I can't just discount that. that, like, I can't just discount that I had that spiritual experience. So, like, I'm definitely with you on that. But, on the other hand. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of our episodes we did about money and the episode we did about cults. And like, I Mm. think that organizations Mm. that put on conferences should absolutely be held to a high standard. And like, if they are not a nonprofit, that needs to be seriously looked at. Like, Uh. Acquire the Fire got sued and went bankrupt because Compassion sued them for money that they were promised and And they didn't get paid. Yes. And so like that organization crumbled because they were not accountable. But I also think that we have to, like, we kind of talked about this in our episode on cults. So if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that episode, um, highly recommend. Uh, Steven learned a lot. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I learned I learned that my dentist is not a cult leader. But <laughs> one thing That's we, right. like, talked about in that episode is that, like, even if we've, like, come out of a group or a conference type thing, because I would argue that that's not the same thing as, like, a, a held together organizational group. Mm-hmm. Even if we've like come out of something and we realize that we no longer hold to that, or we even realize that we were hurt by that, mm. that we shouldn't feel shame about moving forward. Totally, and we shouldn't feel shame totally. that like we were a part of a thing that we then realized was not as great as we thought it was right. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, that's very good. Yeah, come to peace with it. Absolutely, I agree Absolutely. with you. I think that we can like still hold that like things were formative for us and that we're not there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Emily, you used the indoctrination word at the very beginning of your oh, premise yeah. here. And I, I want to come back to it. And just by simply asking, I want to hear you two talk about if indoctrination is inherently bad. Nope. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, he said it. He went for it. Tell me more, please. Yes. Um, I, Stephen, we already kind of mentioned this before Emily popped on. So, Emily, you tell me what you think about this statement, because I think it makes sense. Okay. But I might, be, I might be making a bad argument. I think indoctrination either does not exist or it exists everywhere. Uh, <laughs> like, it can only be one or the other. Like, it's not like some things indoctrinate you and some things don't. Yeah. Like, I think it is. It, it either does not exist as a construct or it exists everywhere. Mm, okay, yeah. I I would accept that statement. Is there a third option here? I just my brain hears that binary and I'm like, Well, the Ooh. third option in my mind that I hear the reason why I say that, Stephen, this is a good question, is that I think some people are of the opinion that like, oh, like those Christians over there, or like insert group, it doesn't have to be anti-Christian mm. people. Yeah. Like that group over there is just indoctrinating people. Right. Like kind of like we talked about on the Colts episode, I think a lot of people use it as a dismissive point. Like they <laughs> sure. they use it as like an in-group, out-group, us versus them. They are indoctrinating. Yeah. We are not. Yeah. And I think that is completely unfair. Right. Oof. Yeah. Like wow. I think That's... that I lean towards like indoctrination is everywhere, but like on the sociological level, there is no distinction between brainwashing and re-socialization. Like socialization, mm-hmm. like what sociologists call socialization is like the process of like you learning how to be a human and like have consciousness, right? So like you exist in a group, you're an individual, but you're a part of humanity. And like that process of growing up, they just term socialization. But like when you study a group that like is indoctrinating people, there's no functional difference between like you just learning a new mode of becoming human versus like brainwashing is kind of an outdated term yeah so like they would just call it re-socialization but like totally if you're talking about in terms of socialization like everything is socializing you like america is indoctrinating you yeah capitalism and or socialism is indoctrin like literally Mm, every mm -hmm. ideology everything yeah is indoctrinating if there's a positive assertion to make a stance on it is indoctrinated into you i think i'm willing to say it that yeah, that heavily, right? Like, if you're going to yeah. make a positive case for anything, indoctrination is at play. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. It, to- yeah. it totally works. Like, it does, takes yeah. even five years ago, pre-discovering uh, even what podcasts were, and now look at Stephen five years from now. Like, I am who I am because of all the things that I've chosen to make an input into my brain and into my ears through the podcast I listen to. Like... So I've probably sure. strayed more toward the center politically and possibly even more left than I would have been uh, comfortable with a few years ago just by the things that I'm listening to. And it yeah. just it's because we're steeping our brain in that particular broth, you know, and it just mm. happens. Like, And see, and that's what makes me that. But that's exactly what makes me agree that like the people who told us growing up, like, be careful what you look at, be careful what you let into your body and, like, in your spirit. Totally. Because, like, ideas change you. Like, I totally agree with that. Totally. Like, yeah. I like I think literally every form of media, anything, like, we learn, everything is, like, pointing us towards something, even if it's, like, not as leading as, like, something like a sale. Like, a salesman sure. is, like, trying to, like, for sure lead you to a sale. Yeah. But, like, I think sometimes the things that lead us along are a little less forthright like tight yeah 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 yeah. but like they're still leading us somewhere so like it's kind of funny that like (laughs) like steven you and i were both homeschooled like i feel like both of us probably got the whole like things are trying to lead you down a certain path but like Mm. that is true but like just because something is leading you somewhere doesn't mean it's bad like everything is leading you somewhere well and that's the thing what makes Uh, I mean, to bring it all the way back to it, like what that's what makes being a Christ follower so sticky is that so many people think they know what Christ was saying, you know, so like Mm -hmm. to be a Christ follower, like it takes a lot of work because I mean, it takes the ravel work here that we're doing because we're trying to Mm -hmm. like 
identify all these things that come from our family of origin and the way we were indoctrinated when we were young, even by mm-hmm. going to these conferences. So bringing it all the way back sure. to the conference, uh, I get that we need to maybe hold these conferences accountable to like, let's see where your money is going. Like if you're not a nonprofit, like what are you actually doing with it? Are you just here to make money? All these are valid questions, but we also have to recognize that it's very hard to build a conference on like not taking a particular stance on anything, you know, like, oh, like sure. I've considered going to the bad Christian conference or the liturgist gatherings. And even they, they have mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. essentially to sell you something to indoctrinate you with because they have, they have positive stances on how our human life should be explored, you know? So sure. like, we can't just say like a conference wouldn't be successful if they somehow like convince you to buy a ticket to a thing where like, as soon as we all show up, they're like, all right, now what, what do you guys want to do? <laughs> like that doesn't, mm, it yeah. doesn't work. So they need something to stand except, on. They need- I would argue, except in something like a presentation conference. Like I have, I have presented at scientific research oh, conferences. Sure. Like I went to the, I went to a national Institute of health conference in dc and like presented research that's a very good that's more that and that's more like share what you know here's the projects that have been done versus like a top-down teaching structure like breakout groups Mm -hmm. and all sorts of yeah yeah i mean there were like panels and stuff i think sure and like q a's but it's i i felt like that was a very noticeably different conference structure okay than the christian conferences i was raised with that is a fantastic distinction. And I think you guys raise a very crucial point of what conferences should do, hopefully, is the gift of discernment. Mm. Just because you are led to go to a conference, you're led (laughs) to participate in something, you're led to whatever, you still have that gift of discernment. And to decide and to take what is going to be helpful, authentic to you, and what's not. because. Like Josh said, like, just because you're led to something doesn't mean that that's bad, but you can also discern if it is bad or not once Mm. you are there, once you are present in that moment or actively engaging in that moment. Because just because you go, you're hoping that it's good, but then Mm. if the end result is not, you have that gift of discernment to say, hey, I actually did learn something. This is what not to do. Hmm. Or these are the things that I don't (laughs) want to take with me. Okay. Okay. So... Finally, I get to tell you my non sequitur story of like this this story of Acquire the Fire that's just endlessly looping in my brain. And I I can't remember a context. So let me go pop the popcorn. Emily, to your point, I think I think absolutely critical thinking is important in this arena, like discerning what you're being taught and and stuff. (laughs) What a way to minimize what you just said. But. This is like mega cynical, Stephen. I'm putting my cynical hat on that I haven't been wearing okay. this whole time. Like I've made quite a it's defense lovely. for these kind of places, yeah, but I've now been, I'm going to put the cynical hat back on. What have I been the cynical on. one this episode? What's up with that? <laughs> you wear that badge with honor. I think there's an angle to these conferences, in particular, Acquire the Fire, that attempts to make sure that the audience group size is large enough so that it's easier for the speakers and the teachers up on stage to play to groupthink and almost like mob dynamics, not mob in the sense of like storm the Capitol or whatever, mm, but mm-hmm. it makes groupthink easier. So now my story. Did you know there's a there's a sociological term for that? It's called social facilitation. Yeah. It's the effect that when you are in a group, something becomes easier mm. versus when you are alone, it's harder. That's social facilitation. Totally. Okay. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, that's just group dynamics. So, and I think that people who put on these kind of conferences know that they can use that to their advantage. Totally. So my story. I believe this was the first Acquire the Fire I went to, which was the Skillet concert with the Comatose record. So Emily, you may have been there and maybe you can provide context that I have not had since the sixth grade. Oh, sure. But it was after the concert. It was the very last night of teaching. Like we were going to go home and we were not going to return to the Billings Metro arena, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the very last thing that the pastor gets out there after this big, like, uh, like there was a drama team and they put on this big, like heartwarming or like heart wrenching play. Yes. I remember. That. And then the pastor gets in and starts speaking on judges 19 
And for those of you playing along at home who don't remember this story, honestly, I don't remember much of the story either, but the Levite goes somewhere, and then essentially we're recreating the the scene in Sodom where a bunch of men are like, we need, we need to take care of this guy, and part of this is like humiliation through rape and through torture and whatever. And in the story... Uh, you can go read it. It's Judges 19. In the story, the man's concubine ends up being offered to the mob. And then in reaction, like he goes outside and finds her and he's like, all right, get up. We're going somewhere else, which absolutely bonkers story to begin with. But then he finds out she's dead. So what he does is cut her into 12 pieces, limb from limb, and ships the pieces of her body to the 12 tribes of Israel in order to inspire them to do something. That's all I remember of the story, but I remember, I remember at Acquire the Fire, this absolutely wild moment where they had a, like the pastor had this mannequin wheeled out. (laughs) And oh my gosh, I remember that. And he takes, he takes out a saw and as he's preaching, he just starts sawing pieces of this mannequin off. And then he has kids lined up on the stage and they have predetermined places to go throughout the auditorium. And basically, he saws a piece of this mannequin off, hands it to the kid, wow. and then the kid goes sprinting across the arena and, like, gives it to, like, an excited onlooker or whatever. Like, because every time a kid would go running, another group would be identified and everyone would stand up and then he would run over to that section and hand them, like, the limb of the mannequin. And I... In the moment, like I have vivid memories of like watching these kids run these body parts of this styrofoam mannequin across the arena. And in the moment, I remember being so excited and so (laughs) (laughs) I was so hyped, like I was cheering. I was like, yeah, Jesus, you know, like, but now like looking back, I remember being excited. For some reason, I remember vividly, like, watching these kids, like, carry these styrofoam bodies across. Could not tell you what the pastor was trying to get across. Could not tell you. (laughs) Could not tell you the point of his sermon. It was a powerful visual, to be sure. I remember it almost 12 years later. But. But obviously it was not a great object lesson. But it played to this this social what did you call it josh social social facilitation like it facilitates better in a social setting it absolutely did it absolutely did okay so your reactions to that because that is just buck wild uh bizarre story great visual though from the sounds of it um but my honestly my gut feeling here is that we can identify things like social facilitation or uh, the opposite for those of you who are interested in these mm. things. Yeah. The opposite is called social loafing. The effect that oh. when you're in a group, something is harder, but when you're alone, it's easier. Social facilitation also happens in sports arenas. So just because like a sports arena takes advantage of totally. social facilitation, totally. like it's easier to clap, it's easier to cheer, that doesn't make football bad. Like just because you <laughs> use group dynamics. And I think the same can be said for these religious settings, like we are more likely to encounter social facilitation, but like that group think in and of itself is not inherently negative. Mm-hmm. But like you brought up a great example of like how it was used and it was compelling in the moment, but like in the long run, it like didn't do anything for you. And I think right. that's great to acknowledge. Mm. I think that's important for sure. <sighs> so anyway, that's my weird story from. Wow. <laughs> now I'm going to have nightmares. Emily, do you Thanks, remember Stephen. that? I do actually I do remember I was sitting um for that one I was sitting above the floor that first ring of the metra uh closest to the left side of the stage wow. and I remember like we could only see like a few kids at a time running and honestly like someone pulled out binoculars and was like can you see exactly like what what is happening cuz like the cameras you know how they have like the giant screens and everything and you hope that they're that they're good quality, but sometimes they're not. And so, like, I just remember one of my friends with binoculars saying, "Oh my goodness, look at his arm!" And oh, there goes a foot, and there goes a leg, and there goes the head. And you're just like watching these people running through the metro with these body parts. And I am also with you. I have no idea what 
the point of that message was supposed to be. I mean, be. you're a pastor. That's How would you preach that sad. passage? That's buck wild to me. It's crazy. I know I would not preach it in that way, but... All right. Now I guess I have That's an idea funny. for a, a Actually, sermon. Stephen, I like how you're ending this week with uh, that example because I think I know what I want to bring up next week. And this example <gasps> would tie in really oh, nicely. G- give us a sneak peek, <laughs> would you, before we close? Um, well, we will be deconstructing how Skillet's monster is just uh, an elaboration of total depravity and worm theology. So on that note, um, <gasps> oh, I, we're not going to be talking about that. What? Um, Why not? But, That's so fun. <laughs> on the... I know that's that's really fun. Maybe bonus episode? Oh, question oh, mark? But I don't oh. know. Question mark? We don't really do bonus episodes nah. yet, but if you do want to support us on Patreon, we are on Patreon. You can find a link in the show we notes. Are. Also, you can find a link to anything we talked about, any books we talked about. Uh I don't think we mentioned any articles this episode, but we will have a link in the show notes. Absolutely. Emily, will you lead us out of this discussion of conferences? Absolutely. Whether you attended one, led one, or wish to attend one, just know that those are spaces and arenas that you can ravel out your thoughts. You have the gift of discernment, and I suggest you use it wisely. Beautiful. What what a mic drop there. <laughs> Use it wisely. Freaking beautiful. <laughs> Did you like how I just threw skillet under the bus at the last second? What a gift. Yeah, like I said, anything after Comatose, I'm not joining Skillet for, but <laughs> all right, cool.